Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Happy Wednesday. Today is a live Q&A that I did on Instagram. I started a Q&A on my flight here to Bali, and in it, I had so many questions I couldn't get to the answers of that I decided to go ahead and bring them here and finish them off. So that is what we're listening to here today. And let's do a quick like impromptu rosebud and thorn before we hop into the recording. I don't know what I'm gonna say. (laughs) My rose today is, you know, I think it's just, my hotel has free breakfast and free coffee in the morning and the coffee is so good. And the breakfast is so good and it's so nice to just have something that is consistent that you don't have to figure out every day. You know, when you're traveling, there's just so much to figure out um, that, yeah, it's, it's nice. And my thorn is that I told you guys yesterday, I think, that I was going to rent a scooter. Um, well, I <laughs> got the scooter. The guy came to drop it off and he was like, have you ever driven a scooter before? And I was like, no. And he was like, oh no. He was like, okay, well, let's just like practice a little bit around here and we'll see how you how it goes. So I practiced and he was like, honestly, I just don't think this is safe and I don't feel comfortable with this at all. And I was like, well, I really don't wanna die. So like, do you think it's like that unsafe? And he was like, yeah, I think I I need to save your life and like not let you take this bike. So I'm grateful for him. That's a good thing. But also, you know, I, I it looked so easy. It looked like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> Which, you know, is like my arrogance, like my type seven arrogance. I'm just like, I can do that. It's not, that's not gonna, like what, like it's hard. Um, yeah, it's hard. And <laughs> um, I'm grateful that I didn't because when we were like driving down the road, I was like watching people drive and I was like, oh, you have to be like a professional at this. Like you can't just be like, I'm learning how to do it. If it were like a completely empty road, it wouldn't be like super safe for me, but I would at least be able to do it. But here people like whip around everybody and they like ride really close to each other. Like I, it would have been, he really saved my life on that one. Um, and then my bud is that at my hotel, they do this thing when I come back to the hotel, they all go like, um, hello, and they say Ibu, which means like Mrs. Um, they say like, hello, Ibu, um, welcome home. <laughs> and it's the best thing ever. They were just like all so like beautiful and like smiley and kind. And they, when they just say like, welcome home, it just like 
feels amazing. Um, so I'm looking forward to going out today and then coming back and being welcomed home. It's so sweet. All right, let's get into today's audio. As a reminder, I am in Bali and this was an Instagram live. So the audio might have some like roosters crowing in the background. Um, there's, you know, there's things like that. And um, I'm talking as if I'm talking to a live audience. So any verbal hiccups or cues, that's what's going on there. All right, friends, thank you so much for joining me and um, we'll get into the live and then I'll see you tomorrow for the next episode. Hello, everybody. Uh, if you're watching the replay, hi, hello. I, earlier this week, went to, I was on the plane for like 16 hours and I asked for questions and I answered as many of them as I could and I said anything that didn't get answered, I would answer on an Instagram live. So um, I'm here to answer questions that came in earlier this week. If you have questions, if you're watching live, I would love to answer those as well. But otherwise, I'm gonna run through the ones that have already come in. So, um, the first question I have is, do you have, curious about your thoughts on double type relationships, specifically fours to four, like two fours. So I think what they're asking is like people who are the same type being in relationship to each other. I think it's just going to take some conscious thought to grow together and not kind of feed each other, right? The same stuff. So, and this is true even for like, my husband and I are both idealist types, which um, are four, seven, and one. He's a four, I'm a seven. We both can kind of be really idealistic and get kind of frustrated when things don't live up to our expectations. And we can be a little like um, judgmental of things that like don't live up to those expectations. And we have to work really hard on that together to not like perpetuate that cycle. And I think it's the same if you're two types in the relationship, you're going to want to still work on refining each other and supporting each other in your growth instead of kind of like solidifying into your type structure because that can come really naturally. And I think specifically for fours, this is going to mean, you know, helping each other to take action or encouraging each other to take action. Um, Mr. Finn said, Shiv, is that you? I know we do look alike. I get that a lot. Um, so, uh, and which I love that show, by the way. So that is, that show is so good. I can't wait for the next season. Um, for fours, it's going to be encouraging each other to see the best in yourselves. It's going to be um, helping you to find your identity, not in how you want to be seen by other people, but just in who you truly are. Um, and, you know, encouraging each other to take action on the things that you want to do. All right. The next question is, can I be a one if I really struggle with organizing and can't keep my house clean? A hundred percent. Yes. Many ones that I know are not like that. The perfectionism is more of a moral perfectionism and not as much uh, actual like tidiness. While some ones are definitely like environmentally perfectionistic, the one structure itself is morally perfectionistic, meaning they want to be a really good person and they feel like they can easily fall short of that. Now, the standard for what a good person is, is going to be different to every single type one, but that's more the fixation. Oh, thank you for saying that. So I said, I miss seeing you. I miss that same kind of like immediate interaction with y'all as well. And the next question is, I'm stuck between types five and eight. I relate to both wholeheartedly depending on the day. So this, that makes sense to me because five and eight are connected. Eight goes to five when they're stressed. Five goes to eight when they're feeling safe and rested. So there's a pretty clear connection there. Now, the big difference here for our eights is eights don't want to seem weak. They want to prove that they want to prove that they're strong. 
And fives want to not seem uninformed. They want to prove that they're capable. Now, the this can seem similar, right? Like if you're really trying over for analyzing it a lot, it can feel really simple. But there's actually the, a really major difference between eight and five. Eight has this perception that they have limitless energy, that they can do anything and should do everything and should never get tired and should never ask for help. Fives know that they have limited energy. They know that they have limited energy so much that they um, almost over rest in preparation for potential depletion. So that's going to be the major difference between eight and five is just how they expend or preserve their energy. Now, if you are an eight who's done a lot of personal growth work or a five who's done a lot of personal growth work, you could resemble one or the other as you've like grown and changed. So it's important to remember who have I been over the course of my life. Um, have most of the time I you know, leaned on my ability to get things done or have I leaned on my ability to preserve my energy and have clear boundaries? Now, um, yeah, we'll stop there. If you have questions, you can put them in the comments as well. Next question is, can type ones be insecure and also not force opinions on others, only on their family? Well, of course, right? So um, every type one is gonna look different. There are three subtypes of type one. One subtype of type one has more anxiety, is tends to be more anxious. Another subtype is more focused on like self-improvement and another type is more focused on the improvement of the people around them. So, you know, the one that's more focused on self-improvement is going to think that there's always something wrong with them, always something they can improve. They're never quite living up to their own standards and that's going to look a lot like what you described. Our next question, Curie, let's see. Nope, that's the same slide. What are subtypes? Like when you have said social or self-preservation. So subtypes are the belief that each Enneagram type has three unique subtypes. It's self-preservation, social, and sexual, or sometimes we call sexual one-to-one if we're not wanting to make people uncomfortable. So um, that being said, every single Enneagram type has all three subtypes, but they look different. So our social subtypes are kind of more concerned about where they are in the social hierarchy. Our self-preservation types are more concerned about like their physical safety, getting their needs met. And then our sexual or one-to-one subtypes are more focused on like intimate one-to-one connection. That being said, every single Enneagram type, in my opinion, because I really learned subtypes through the work of Beatrice Chestnut, who learned it through Claudio and Ranjo, who I, both of their opinions I really respect because it helped me to understand myself more clearly. Um, there's a lot of different schools of thought on subtypes. So one school of thought on subtypes is that it's kind of like a flavor to your number. So a seven who is a social seven is going to be a seven who cares about where they fit in the social hierarchy. But according to Beatrice Chestnut, who learned it from Claudio Naranjo, um, there's actually 27 full Enneagram types because the subtypes are so distinct within the number that it creates kind of a, a whole unique type. I personally found this helpful because it made me make sense. So I'm a social seven, which is the counter type of seven, which can look sometimes like a two or sometimes like a one because we can be self-moderating um, and we can also be over-sacrificing even though we lead with dominant type seven. We may not look like a seven. Every single Enneagram type has one subtype that is a counter type, meaning that your motivation looks different than your behavior. This is where I think a lot of people who are trying to decide between two types, I think oftentimes if it's taking you years to type yourself, you are likely a counter type because your behavior doesn't always match your motivation. 
That being said, <laughs> um, it's much more helpful to look up your type, you know, in a book or online just because it's, I could teach a whole workshop on it and have um, for the subtypes and I couldn't, I couldn't do it all here. But that's essentially the basics of it. We all have one type that is dominant, one type that is suppressed, and one type is secondary. So for me, I'm a social seven with a self-preservation subtype. The self-preservation seven can look more entrepreneurial. They're like very networky, can sometimes look like a three. And then we have the um, sexual or the one-to-one seven, which I relate to the least and kind of repress the most. That like one-to-one connection thing is hard for me. All right, next. My bestie two and I five seem an odd pairing to me, but any thoughts on why our types mesh so well? Well, there's a lot of two five couples that I've interacted with, not, you know, like relationships. And I think that's likely because twos are pursuers, right? They, they want a relationship with someone. They're going to make that relationship happen. They're going to maintain that relationship. Whereas fives tend to be more withdrawing. They tend to be more, you know, introspective and, um, we need, if, you know, a five and a five might just float apart from each other. So you kind of need that more relational person to, um, pull in and, and catch you, <laughs> like invite you into their life and stay interested. And fives, you know, deep down want to be known. They want to be seen in their emotionality. They want to be understood and they need you to pry it open sometimes. And twos are really good about that. I'm a one-to-one counterphobic six, so I don't like a traditional six. Exactly, yeah. The That um, counter type six, instead of running away from fear, runs toward the fear, so they can sometimes look like an eight. Um, next question, tips for an eight and a five in a relationship. Um, ways that you can, if you allow yourselves to influence each other, it's a beautiful thing, right? Eights learn a lot from fives about moderating their energy, embracing rest, um, saying no, <laughs> and fives learn a lot from eights about taking action, putting, you know, going for what they want, um, pushing past their perceived limitations. Um, Life with Enneagram said, I just had a giveaway, Sarah, and gave away one of your books. Oh, thank you so much. That's so nice. Um, yeah, so it, you can really learn a lot from each other. Now, this can also when we have a lot to learn from somebody, we can find that kind of irritating or find that difficult to live with, right? So fives might start to resent the the eights kind of constant need to do things um, and may feel exhausted by that for themselves. Then the eights might feel resentful of the fives ability to rest and, and not constantly exhaust themselves. Tips for a two and seven in marriage, like a hardcore two and a hardcore seven. Um, yeah, well, and I think... I'm going to answer this as like a broad strokes because I know that like everybody's going to want to hear their type and I would probably need to do like a whole live just on those. Um, I will say if you, no matter what type you're in relationship to, you have to let each other influence each other. When you allow yourself to be influenced by your partner, you look at them with respect, you admire them, you learn and you grow, you move toward each other. When you resist being influenced by one another, that's where like resentment and frustration with your differences grows, right? So if the two can allow the seven to influence them to put themselves first, they're, they're going to learn and they're going to grow and they're going to admire them. And if the seven can look at the two and allow them to influence them to put others first, then they're going to respect them. They're going to learn. They're going to grow. And, the, and that becomes like this really beautiful mutual respect instead of like a mutual resentment of why aren't you like me? 
Um, Judy said, I was watching your vlog, paused for this live, then finishing. <laughs> Thank you, Judy. Thanks for hanging out with me. Um, if you don't know, I'm doing a, a vlog every single day on YouTube for the month of October. And right now I'm in Bali, so I'm vlogging like my entire Bali trip, which is really fun. I mean, it's fun for me. I hope it's fun for you. Um, thank you so much. Just love your content, by the way. Thank you. Um, love listening to your podcast in the mornings. You have the most calming voice. Thank you, Meg. That's so nice. And thanks for listening to the podcast. That means a lot to me <laughs> that you guys hang out with me every day. Um, it's a really big deal. Next question. I'm a too and very detached to love. Anything I can do to get that excitement and interest back? You know, I think, one, I don't know what the goal is in wanting to get that back. Um, I think the two fixation should be on how can I love myself so well that it is pouring out from my pores, right? Like, how can I just take such good care of myself and love myself so well that, like, it's contagious to other people? And so that's the advice I'm going to give you as a two. I'm going to tell you if you want love, um, love yourself. And then if you're craving excitement for love, um, I actually think like a detachment has a two. Let's say you're typed correctly. I know I can't know for sure that you are, but let's say you're typed correctly and you are not super interested in love and affection right now. Maybe that's good. Like maybe that's like through growth, through not looking to other people for approval, through not needing someone else to fulfill you. Maybe that detachment is actually pretty healthy and that like when true love arrives or when someone who can match you in a healthy way, it's not going to necessarily feel like all butterflies and roses. It might just feel like safety and calm and partnership. And I think that that's a, probably a good thing if you're, you know, I'm assuming you're typed correctly. Um, someone asked, where all are you going in Bali? I used to live in Indonesia, so I'm very partial. Um, so I'm going to, right now I'm in Ubud, and then on Sunday I'm going to Changu. And those are kind of the two places I'm staying. Ubud is kind of like my more quiet, um, spiritual experience. And then Changu is more, um, entrepreneurial, like coffee, cafe culture kind of vibe. Um, differences in how type fours and type ones are hard on themselves. So, I talked earlier before in the in the original Q and A. I talked about how both of them have a really intense inner critic, and honestly, both of them can have the messaging of like I need to be good. The difference here is that ones hold themselves to like a really specific moral standard for what that means, and it's really one specific subtype of one that's telling themselves that they don't live up to that standard, that they can constantly be improving, and they tend to be really proactive about that, like. How can I improve? What do I need to improve on? Where can, where have I fallen short? How can I do better next time? Then we have the type four, which they tend to um, receive that messaging outside of themselves when they're younger, that there's something wrong with them, that they're like innately broken. They have this sense that like everybody else has something that they need, that they're missing something um, and that there's something like innately wrong with them. And, and I think that for fours, this is much more like of a fixed mindset thing of like, I am just this way. Something is wrong with me that, and like this, the belief that that can be improved upon doesn't necessarily come as naturally. It's much more, um, 
like a fear that there's something wrong with them. Now, um, obviously that's not true. There's nothing wrong with them, but they're, you know, they, re they honestly likely received that message somewhere in their life. And so that that has been perpetuated. Um, so that can like filter through every interaction that they have that like they are bad or there's something wrong with them or they don't have what they need. You know, maybe having what they need is like a PhD or a degree. Um, yeah, it is really sad. <laughs> that's so sad. It is sad. And I think like that the pain point, of all of our Enneagram types is, is ultimately very sad. Like it's, um, it's a hard thing and we formed it as like a protective mechanism. So fours, you know, by holding on to the, the idea that like there's something, they're, they're bad, that there's something wrong with them, then they don't have to put themselves out there. They don't have to risk, um, asking people if they're good because they're afraid that what they'll hear back is like, no, you're bad. Um, so yeah, that's, I hope that made sense. I hope that answered your question. Um, differences in type four and nine. So this one's pretty, to me, straightforward. Fours have um, a deep intimacy with their emotionality, a deep intimacy with feeling. They want to linger in their feelings. They want to feel everything. Nines tend to not know who they are and what they want. They tend to numb to their emotions. And, you know, obviously as people, we grow and we change. So remember, like, this is who you are over the course of your life. Like, these are skills you can learn. But in general, fours are much more comfortable with their emotionality. And self-expression is very, um, it's highly prioritized for them. Whereas nines, they tend to numb to their emotions and tend to not want to put themselves out there as much or be seen in the truth of who they are as much. Whereas, like, that's the highest priority for most fours. Um, Emily said, what's the first resource you point people to who are trying to find their type? I should say my book, The Honest Enneagram, because I do think it's a good place to start. However, I know you're probably not going to buy a book for your first time that you're looking up your Enneagram type. Let's be honest. So if that's the case, I think you should go to the EnneagramInstitute.com and just read the types. And then whichever type makes you feel most exposed is probably the one for you. <laughs> um, our next question always identified with four, but have been told eight. So confused. So you're probably a sexual subtype four, which can look like an eight. Um, and actually is probably the most overtly angry type on the Enneagram. So they're very passionate, very competitive, but they have all of the type four motivations and kind of internal experiences, but can look eight-like to other people. Um, I am a textbook too and also a registered nurse. Do you think there's a connection there? Probably. If so, how can I best utilize my type to make me a better nurse, not a better people pleaser? I love that question. Um, you know, I think that for all twos in general, the, the question you have to ask yourself is, am I doing this because I want to or am I doing this because I'm hoping I'll receive something in return? If you're doing it because it feels like that, like beautiful, like I love to love, I love to give to people. Um, and I want to give to you. I don't expect a thank you. I don't expect, um, a reciprocation of love. Then go ahead, go for it, give it. Um, if that's not the case, if you are hoping for a thank you or a reciprocity, and if you, if you're going to be frustrated, if you don't receive that, don't do it. Obviously, as a nurse, like you're going to save people's lives either way. It's like your, it's your job. So I think like in terms of making you a better nurse, we talk about this in my book, The Enneagram Letters, specifically to type five, but 
the, the mentality is here for twos as well is, can I give from a place of love or am I giving out of a place of obligation? Because a place out of a place of love, when I'm giving from that place, I have a lot more access to, to resources. I'm less likely to be frustrated. I'm more likely to feel comfortable giving. But if I'm giving out of a place of obligation, then I'm going to feel resentful and frustrated all the time. We're all going to feel a little bit resentful of our jobs at any given moment. I think that's just part of having a job, no matter how great your job is. But at the same time, like if you can like prioritize like choosing love when you show up, it's going to make your job feel much more easy. Someone said, still trying to internalize what you said about fours. While I don't think in general that I'm broken, there are parts of me that I'm not happy with. What I, that I do believe will never change. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's where I did a podcast episode on like fixed mindset versus growth mindset, which I think is kind of like corporate language for what we're talking about, you know? Um, but at the same time, I think it's, it's super valid for force. Force tend to have that fixed mindset of like, I'm as talented as I will ever be. And what I want for fours more than anything else in the world is to really embrace practice and really embrace being an amateur and embracing like growing and practicing and getting better and seeing that like we are not who we will always be. And also that like maybe who you are right now is like also fine and not something to be like ashamed of um, that like you're probably perfectly lovely as you are. And if there are skills that you want to build, you can build those skills, but like there's nothing innately wrong with you. Judy said, do you think subtypes can change? I think I used to be a social four and now survival made me a self-pres. Um, I do think subtypes can change. I asked one of my teachers um, in an interview once, do you think subtypes can change? And he said, I don't know, maybe. And I think that's like the most honest answer. I think we don't have a reason to believe it can't. I think it makes complete sense that it would, right? Our, our subtypes are our survival mechanism. It's kind of like how we are trying to survive through the world. And as we have major experiences in our life, our tactics are likely to change. So, um, you know, I think that I, my two dominants are so close together that social and that self-preservation are so closely linked that I could kind of experience either one more dominant in a given day. Um, so yes, I absolutely do think it, they can change. Our next question. <laughs> oh, I saw that, um, our nurse came in earlier. I'm going to make sure I get that. I'm the nurse who sent that question in. What an incredible answer. Thank you. Gave me so much to think about. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Thank you for sending your question in. Um, I feel like before I had kids, I was definitely a seven. Now as a mother, I'm a solid three wing two. How? Um, you know, I am curious. I think I don't tend to think that our type changes as we change. I think we change, but our type stays the same. So maybe we don't exhibit our type in the same way. Maybe we don't um, show up the same way as a person, but like our worldview and kind of how we've been most of our life is still gonna really be present. Like our, like, you know, whether you're a seven or a three, that pressure to be happy and to be, you know, satisfied is still gonna be there even if it manifests differently or that need to be successful is going to manifest differently. So I think the only way, in my opinion, that you can really think that your type would change is if you think that your type means your behavior, which I don't. I think your type means your motivation, like what's driving you, what your worldview is. And in that case, I think it doesn't change, but maybe you do, which means your behavior might change. Does that make sense? Let me know if you have questions about that in the comments. 
Um, next question. I am a six, but I feel like I don't identify as either wing. Can I just be a straight six? Yeah, wings are kind of not, in my opinion, something we have to identify. I think the wings and is the goal of our wings is to have balanced wings, to use the skills of those two wings to balance out our personality type. If you think about it, the types on either side of you are things that we really need, right? Like as a seven, I need that eight's ability to push through discomfort and pain. Um, I also need that six ability to think things through and make calm, rational decisions and to be loyal to relationships. These are skills that like I want to intentionally bring into my life. I lean really heavily on the eight side. <laughs> so I do identify with that like seven wing eight thing because I have a lot of eight negative traits as well that I have to work on. Um, now at the same time, like the goal is to have balanced wings to work those out. So yes, you can absolutely not identify with a wing and intentionally kind of use the skills of those wings as you grow in your, in your growth journey. Um, next question is tend to try and escape any tips for fun. Oh, there's a first part. I type half four, half seven every time. I used to be Miss Joy, but life, but life. <laughs> I'm comfortable with emotions, but tend to try and escape any tips for finding my type. I don't feel I ever go to five, even in health. Um, okay, so um, when it comes to four and seven, the major differences here are fours are really identity focused. So they want to seek and express their identity. They want to be seen in the truth of who they are, and they're very much focused on like how others are experiencing that identity. Sevens tend to be much less focused on how they're being perceived by other people. Fours are highly focused on like curating an identity that other people can experience. You know, yeah, that other people can experience. Sevens are more just like, what, how do I feel in this experience? Is this feeling good to me? Is this feeling bad to me? The other major difference here is the way that we experience negative emotion. Like fours tend to feel comfortable with negative emotion. They tend to lean into that negative emotion, um, may struggle with overly leaning into it, finding it very comforting or satisfying. Now, if we're thinking about subtypes, every single subtype of four is different. So we have the um, social subtype, which kind of thinks of pain and suffering as like comfort blankets, like, oh, this is like a cozy, comfortable feeling. Um, I want to get a love and approval through being seen in my suffering. Then we have the sexual or the one-to-one -one subtype of four, which is like, I'm suffering, so therefore you should suffer too. Um, so they tend to be more angry, more like revenge focused, more frustrated by hypocrisy. And then we have the um, sec the uh, self-preservation type four, who's more seen as the sunshiny four. This is the type four who wants to prove how long suffering they are. So they want to be, they want you to see that they're suffering, but they want to show you how little that impacts them. So that's this, that's how the four can look different, but they all have some relationship to suffering. Whereas sevens, their relationship to suffering is like, no, thank you, anything but. You know, I will orchestrate my life completely around not suffering, not having regrets, and not feeling pain. I am a one, and it feels like the most boring Enneagram. I don't think so. I think we all feel that way about our type a little bit, you know? Because it's like, we talked about this in our street team meeting today. I think, you know, like if you're a really good singer, just naturally, it can feel like your skill is not that exciting or that impressive. But then someone like me who like can't sing, 
is going to think like, wow, that's so exciting and so impressive. We tend to like downplay what we're naturally good at and see it as boring, right? But I'd be, like there are traits of one that I really admire and would like to obtain for myself. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to download the new Bumble now. Um, how to figure out which number my significant other is if he won't take the test. You know, I think you, well, I don't think we need to take the test, first of all, to find our type. I think we need to read the type descriptions and not worry about the quiz because the quiz is going to likely be inaccurate. So, you know, you could just talk to him <laughs> about how he feels. I often say, like, use the Enneagram for its language and not its numbers, because when we start looking through the lens of the numbers, we start to objectify people and put people into these little categories or these little boxes where we're limiting who they're allowed to be. We're kind of making assumptions about who they are based off of that number. But if we can use it for the language, it like builds empathy, it builds compassion, right? So instead of saying like, hey, I need to figure out which box you are in, partner. So to like a partner who's not interested, instead we could say like, hey, do you ever feel the pressure to be successful? Like, what does failure feel like to you? Ask them interesting questions. Show them that you care about them, not categorizing them. You know, I think that that can be much more of an invitation to have the conversation that you're actually trying to have. Um, just ask, use the language, don't use the numbers. Uh, which types are a best match for a six and what complements a six for each of those types? Um, I am not going to say that there is a best match for each type. I think for any type, I think it's just like, are you each growing and, and healthy and willing to communicate and put in the work to improve as people? Great. That's what matters. Um, I always test as a nine, but my family thinks I relate more to a six. How can I tell? So if you were in a situation where everybody in your life thinks you're one number, you took a quiz, it's telling you you're a different number, you need to read the descriptions of the types and see what you resonate with. Um, which one makes you feel the more seen, the more uncomfortable, which one feels like someone's like printed out your journal or followed you around, that's your type. So if you feel like a nine after you read a description, not just based off of the quiz, then you're a nine. If, if you read the description of six and it feels at home, then you're a six. But you could also explore all the numbers. I wouldn't limit yourself just to those two. There's a child running in the hall. Um, I feel like twos and fives are very different for couples. Yeah, they definitely are. I think that it's a very common pairing though. Um, so it must be working. It must be working for people. Um, my, I'm a four, my husband is a one. How to connect better? Yeah, you know, I think what what might be difficult here is the four feeling not good enough because the one is finding things that they could do better according to the one standard and then the one feeling like they're um misunderstood because they're just trying to like improve things and the four is feeling hurt by that you know so i think you guys can work on but i'm, I'm gonna just lean into the thing i said earlier which is we have to let each other influence each other. If 
The four can let the one help them to be focused on like growth and how they can improve instead of just thinking, I am what I am, I'll never change. And the one can let the four let them be honor their emotionality and respect their anger or, you know, their negative emotions. You're going to really help each other. You're going to really benefit from that um, mutual impact. Um, there's a lot of eight or four. I answered that one earlier. How to love a nine in a relationship well. I am a two. Um, don't interrupt them. Ask them really specific questions. Let them talk at the end of the day without feeling like it's a burden. And um, let them be angry with you. Encourage them to be a little bit angry with you or to express their anger. Don't take it personally. Um, and for both twos and nines, like don't fear space, emotional space or um, intellectual space. It's very like healthy to feel separate from one another. Um, both of these types can like tend to want to feel like you are the same, that you're like one being. Um, but the more that you can really respect the individuality and the space between the two of you, the easier it's going to be to let each other have your own unique experiences. It's best advice for parenting as a nine and a five. We have a four month old. Um, you know, for this one, I did a whole parenting series on on the Enneagram. I did an episode specifically for each parent for each Enneagram type. So I highly recommend you check those out. Here's the thing, y'all. I podcast five days a week, so I know it's hard to find those episodes. So what I do when I have to find one is I just Google Enneagram and coffee parenting type five. <laughs> and then and then I find the episodes because it is like you have to scroll for a while. Um, how, someone said, how do you love an eight well? You show them that you can handle the things that they think they have to handle so that they can finally rest. Um, and don't, if they feel like um, their breaking down is going to break you down, they're going to feel less comfortable expressing their vulnerability and their weakness. So you need to like meet them with strength so that they can not have to be the strong one. Because in their brains, it's like someone always has to be strong. Um, and if it's not you, it has to be them. So you need, they need to see that you can handle it. Useful tips to discern between one and five. So um, the social five looks a lot like a one. It can struggle with black and white thinking. Um, so I would read the subtypes of each of the numbers and just see which one you resonate with the most. There's a lot of mistyping ones. I feel like I should do like a whole mistyping series. Um, Advice for a nine who is moving for her husband's job and dreading it because of the emotions. Feel your feelings, babe. Just feel them. Because the faster you feel them, the faster they're going to move through you. But the more you resist them, the more that you try to avoid them or numb them, the longer it takes, actually. And take this from a seven. Like, I can tell you, feel, just feel them. Let it just carry you to the pits of despair you are not going to get overtaken. It's not going to overwhelm you. You're going to be fine. It'll probably, you know, it could last. I don't know how long it'll last, but it won't last forever. Every emotion is temporary. Um, allow it to be just like an energy that's flowing through your body. Um, it doesn't have to be like this big, scary thing. Just let yourself feel it because it's disappointing. It is scary, right? Like I'm trying to guess like what the emotions are that you're having. Like you, maybe you're going to miss your friends. That makes total sense. Maybe you're overwhelmed by all that's going to take to do. That makes total sense too. Maybe 
you, it's, you know, really stressful. That's okay. That makes sense. Like, just let yourself feel your feelings. Sometimes for someone who also has difficulty feeling them, I will, if I can like tell there's feelings that need to be felt, I'll go watch a movie that I know is sad and let myself feel my feelings in the movie. I like to do this in the movie theater. That way it's dark and private and no one, I go to a movie alone and then just like feel my feelings in my little dark hole. <laughs> And then, you know, go on with my day. It helps. Just feel them. I'm just looking at the questions, seeing what we got here. I turned my southern accent, just went. I'm an A-Wing 9. I struggle to let others take control. How do I trust people to lead when I may not believe they are capable? Great question. I think the first thing is starting to respect their strengths is different than your strengths, not less than your strengths. So, um, they're going to lead differently than you and that's okay. They won't, aren't going to do it exactly the way that you would do it, but they're going to do it in a way that works for them. So, um, there will be things that they're better at than you and there are going to be things that they're worse at than you. That's just how it's going to be. They like, that's just human nature. So kind of learning to respect the differences, I think is, is step one is starting to see their strengths and not letting their weaknesses overshadow their strengths. Just like, let's say you're, you know, you have a nine. Nines are incredible leaders. They're very different leaders than eights. Um, nines lead through listening, through non-judgment, through taking in everybody's feedback and like honoring everyone's perspective. That's a very different kind of leader than, a, than an eight, but it's just as good. Um, and worthy of respect, right? So if you can just start to value those differences and look for their strengths and don't let their weaknesses overshadow them. Such good advice. I'm a type nine and actually relate to a lot about seven, how type sevens avoid bad feelings. I like to listen to sad music to make myself feel the feels. Yeah. Um, this is really dark. I'm about to say something really dark, but I, my, so my dad took, chose to take his own life in 2020. And I like took a, a, se a season of or like a week of just being alone. And during that week, I listened to one specific album. It was Folklore by Taylor Swift, which I'd never listened to Taylor Swift before. But for whatever reason, I just started playing it. There's this one song, um, like Ricochet, that like reminds me so much of like how it felt to be in that situation. Like it was like almost like if my dad had written it, right? Um, so all of that to say that like now when I need to feel, I can just listen to that album. And it's like, I'm not feeling about the thing that it originally made me feel about, but it it can immediately make me feel my emotions. And it, it's so like, I mean, I know that's dark, but that's helpful. <laughs> Y'all are like, dang, you're on this live. And the girl's like, here's my, here's my trauma. Um, all right. Next question. <laughs> Useful tips to discern between type. Oh, I already said that one. Um, can a wing influence behavior more than type? I'm a type one, but feel more like a nine. Yeah, I think they said type one motivations. You know, your Enneagram type is your motivations. It's your worldview. It's like the reason that you're making the decisions that you're making and the behavior that you're behaving. So always, always go with the motivations. And then our behavior changes in general as we are people whose behavior changes. Um, what are your tips for an Enneagram to overcoming the feelings of being a burden? Um, most of us don't have to worry about that. Twos and fives, I think, worry about it the most. Sometimes, I think, also eights. Um, you know, maybe nines, too. But, you know, as seven, not my big concern. So, you know, I think 
remembering that that's like not everybody's biggest fear and therefore we're not looking for you to and that looking for that in you as well like I'm not walking around going who here is a burden to me <laughs> you know I just do what feels good to me and don't do what doesn't feel good to me and in fact I would say like Maybe it's your your perspective, the way that you people feel like burdens to you because you let them be burdens to you, right? Because you're willing to over-sacrifice to the point of depletion. So therefore, the people in your life become burdens. And so the less you do that, the less you start to look at people as burdens because you aren't letting them become a burden. Like we choose who's a burden on us. Um, if someone asks me to do something for them that I don't want to do, I say no. Like, I just say no. And like, so then therefore no one can become a burden to me. <laughs> like, like it's not, um, their fault. They're not a burden. I'm choosing a burden, right? I've taken a burden on. So yeah, I think work on not letting people become burdens to you. And then you won't be so concerned about if you're a burden to them. Um, and also respect people's true. Like if they, uh, like at this point in my life, I just assume that everything to you, that you say to me is the truth. And it might not be, but that's not my business to try to guess if you're lying to me or not. So if I ask you if you can do something for me, you say yes, I'm assuming you're telling me the truth. And if you are lying to me, that is your problem. If you lie to me and you tell me you can do something that you absolutely cannot do, and then I become a burden to you, that is not my business. You chose, you were in control of your boundaries. You were in control of your yes and your no. You can say, um, actually at this point that has become a burden to me. So I'm no longer able to continue this and I will believe you, right? And I think that that's all we can do is we can tell the truth and we can believe that other people are telling us the truth. And then like, we cannot go around guessing as to whether or not someone is burdened by us or not. And I can tell you as someone who loves some twos in my life that that guessing game is actually really stressful for me like that like am i too much for you like let me just kind of like do it it's like too much of a guessing game and then like no one's actually getting heard so if you just let me be honest with you and i just trust that you're being honest with me it's so much easier interested in learning multiple ways to tell between one and eight. I feel them both to my core. Well, let's talk about the similarities here and why you might feel both of them, right? Both can have kind of like black and white thinking. I know the way. Both can struggle with releasing control. Um, both can have some, both of them have some relation to anger. So um, ones though tend to like push their anger down. They're afraid of expressing their anger. Sorry, I slapped the mic. Um, they're afraid of expressing their anger, so they tend to like smile through it, whereas eights tend to be much more anger forward. Um, I've heard someone say like, it's like the eights more like a bull in a china shop. Um, and they've probably in their life experienced much more, much more being told that they're too much than like a one. One, most of your life, you've probably been like appropriate for the situation, right? Like you've kind of learned the social etiquette or the rules for the scenario and like shown up that way. Whereas eights tend to have like charged through the world. Now, social eights can look a little bit different, um, but I would still say that they tend to be like anger forward. Um, Emily says, I've shared your podcast about boundaries prompted by a question from a two has been so helpful and I've shared it with so many people. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I have an episode on boundaries that if you're a two, I want you to listen to. If you struggle with boundaries, no matter your type, I want you to listen to it. And again, Google search it. Don't try and find it um, through the feed. Just go Enneagram and Coffee 
podcast boundaries. And then I'll come up faster. Mm, 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 mm. So I always thought I'm a six, but lately I wonder if I'm a two, how can I know? So the self-preservation two can sometimes look like a six. So that's worth noting. At the same time, the major differences here is that sixes tend to be skeptical of new people and new things, whereas twos tend to be um, very love bomby toward new people because um, they want their, their approval. You know, sixes aren't as much thinking about like everybody's approval. You know, is everybody going to love me? They're more focused on just like a select few people who they want to be really loyal to, who they're afraid of disappointing versus like, I need the world to love me. I need to, I need like evidence that I'm lovable. Sixes are looking for evidence that like, if everything hits the fan, there's going to be a few select people who have their back, who can support them or, um, who can give them feedback or give them advice. Um, all right. Next question. General things to be aware of as a four married to a nine, um, you know, encourage them to express themselves as much as you express yourself. Pay attention to when your self-expression is silencing their ability to express themselves. And vice versa, you know, nines don't, uh, you know, make sure that you can sit with the emotions of your four. Practice like centering, breathing, and mirroring back those emotions, saying like, I hear you saying you feel blank X, Y, and Z. And then let them correct that if it's not exactly how they feel. That's going to mean a lot to each other. Can a seven wing eight slide into being an eight wing seven over the years? I think, you know, I've touched on this before in the in the live, but I think like our Enneagram type, in my opinion, does not change. It's an opinion. There's not really a lot of like evidence or research to back any opinion on that up. Um, in my opinion, it's it stays the same. However, we change, right? So while my worldview might not change, my behavior will change. Next question. Um, can I be an eight wing nine? Yes. Um, I've been trying to figure out if I'm a two or a four for years. Any helpful insight? Um, you might want to read about the self-preservation too. They can sometimes look like a four, sometimes look like a six. Um, that's where like, that's one thing I would check into. Uh, the other thing I would look at is, um, do I mostly want, am I others referencing or self-referencing? So choose are others referencing, meaning they're like kind of looking to what other people need, how other people feel, wanting to like make sure they show up for other people in the way that they need. Fours are self-referencing, meaning they're like, what do I want? What do I need? How do I feel? Um, not that you're not capable of doing the other, but you tend to like lead with one, right? So like fours, most of their life have been focused on like, what do I want? What do I need? How do I feel? Um, and wanting to express that. So that, yeah, that's one way to tell the difference. I think I'm a nine, but people keep assuming I'm a four. Well, you might look like a four in behavior, but be a nine. Um, I think if you relate to the type nine description, you're a nine. Um, and then nines sometimes can look like fours you know, just in, in hobbies and in habits, but you, you know, you know yourself better. People oftentimes think I'm a two because I do this a lot, like put my hand on my heart. Um, I ask questions and I listen to people. So they think I'm a two, but I'm not, I would, you know, like there's a lot of things about twos I like, but it's just not who I am. 
My girlfriend can't figure out if she's a five wing six or a six wing five. Any ideas for how to differentiate? Um, yeah, I think these two are very closely linked. The main difference here is that, um, you know, fives are seeking competence um, and capability. So they're, they're going to want to be like informed. They're less worried about letting people down and more focused on, you know, managing their energy levels. So they're more comfortable saying no. Sixes are focused on like making sure the group is taken care of. They're going to think through like, okay, what could possibly go wrong here? How can I be prepared for that? Uh, they're going to be more focused on not letting people down. They may over-sacrifice for the sake of a group. Um, maybe what, like that's a workplace or a family or a group of friends. They're, they're, the phrase I hear the most from sixes is like, I'm afraid of letting them down. I'm afraid of letting people down. Also, sixes don't trust themselves. They tend to have like a lack of self-trust. And fives um, have a pretty high sense of self-trust. They tend to, um, and if they don't know, they'll find out, right? So they're going to figure out what they need to know. Ideas on being vulnerable or connected with friends or in relationships. I struggle to be honest and open with people I don't know super well. You know, I think, I think that we have these mechanisms for a reason, right? So like, we protect ourselves, right? So it's not always going to be the safest thing to open up and be vulnerable. So like, it's okay to have some discernment. I think that's the first note. It's totally okay to have some discernment. Now within that discernment, if you're like, I do want to have that connection with these people, I do want to be known, you know, start small and practice, you know, maybe like do a little theater, test a little something. I personally am just like sharing everything with people all the time. So, um, and for some people that hits well and I'm like, okay, that's someone I would have a relationship with. For some people that doesn't hit well and I'm like, okay, that's someone I'm probably not going to have a relationship with. Um, also this person just clarified they're an eight. Um, so in this situation, I would guess that you might even have like partners or loved ones or people you're really close to who you're struggling to be that intimate with. If that's the case, you know, I would say like, what do I need to, in order to feel safe here so I can open up? Like, what am I afraid of happening if I were to open up? And sometimes by just asking that question, we're able to see like how far-fetched the possibility is, right? So if I'm like, if I open up, are they going to laugh at me? It's like, oh no, probably not. Um, but if I'm afraid that I open up and then like they use that against me later in our life or they bring it up in a fight or something, um that kind of situation, you can pause and just say like, hey, I'm going to be really vulnerable here. I need you to be really precious with this information and I need you to be really careful. Um, and I heard a, an eight recently saying like, it's okay to be choosy about that. And I think that that's absolutely true. I don't think you have to just like jump in and be vulnerable with everybody because this is going to be a very unnatural, uncomfortable, very scary thing. So it's okay to pick a few select people who build that muscle with and maybe over time you start to become more comfortable with those people and then that makes you more comfortable with other people but like start with like your your innermost and then like work out from there what does type seven look like in leadership most sevens are entertainers so i have a hard time translating this type in leadership you know sevens are are tend to be the voice for the group so they tend to um because they're, we're really schmoozy, you know, like we're really good at advocating for ourselves and advocating for other people in like a light, fun way. 
So in a workplace environment, as leaders, they tend to be the voice of the masses. They tend to be the ones who are willing to speak up because they're not afraid of rejection and they're not afraid of like um, getting shot down. They believe in possibility and they're more than willing to like step up and be like the voice of the group. Um, I think sevens also, like from my experience as a seven, I tend to naturally take on leadership roles, but I also like would rather someone else do it. Like if there is someone, if there's an eight in the room who's willing to take charge, I would like to be like the, like I'm going to have a lot of opinions, but I'm not going to, I don't really want to be responsible for everything, if that makes sense. Um, at the same time, when it comes to feedback, um, when it comes to like feedback in a work environment, we tend to be like positive forward, but also it can be like abruptly blunt. Um, it might be surprisingly blunt. Um, tips for helping sevens finishing books, projects, fun ideas they start. Here's my opinion on sevens in, in finishing things. I don't think we have a problem with finishing. I think we have a problem with starting. We start too much too fast. So um, you need to, in order to finish something, you need to start less things. So um, I really think like keeping an idea journal writing down all of your ideas because it's kind of like this urgency behind ideas it's the problem it's like this belief of this idea is here right now it needs to be tended to right now um when in fact maybe this this idea isn't even meant to be yours for like two more years um this is a practice i started before i found the enneagram i like started an idea journal because this was like the bane of my existence and it was like one week i'm working on this book the next week i'm working on this thing and then the, you know it was just kind of like i was hopping all over the place I started an idea journal and one of the ideas I had was like, I want a monthly subscription for a day planner. I want um, a day planner to arrive every single month in the mail and that's gonna be like the reminder to use the day planner. And I had this great idea. I put it in my journal, two years later I did it, right? But if I had tried to do it in that moment, it wouldn't have worked because I didn't have the time, the space, the resources, the information to make it happen. But because I put it in the idea journal, I waited a few years, then it was time. I was able to actually like make it happen and it evolved into a lot of other amazing things in my life. Um, I have to go to bed now. Thanks for the thought provoking answers. I'll check your podcast. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. Oh, someone bought a badge. Thank you. Thank you, Skedaddle. No one's ever bought a badge before. That means a lot. Thank you. That was my first, that was my first badge. Um, all right. Tips for sharing ideas and thoughts as a nine instead of waiting for everyone else to speak first. Yes. You have to practice interjecting. You have to practice, um, just like, remember that most of us are just saying what we think without someone asking us for what we think. You can just say your opinion randomly. Um, I, I like one of my best friends is a nine and sometimes she'll just text me Here's this thing that happened today. And I feel like it's not the most natural thing for her, but I love it so much. And like, I like love her so much. I want to know everything that she thinks and feels <laughs> like I always do. So I think like, um, it's, but it might not feel like the most comfortable thing to just randomly tell someone something about your life. But most of us are doing that. Feel comfortable. Just interject. Um, Totally makes sense. What type does a self-pressed four look like on the outside to others? I know I seem very guarded and independent yet empathetic. Um, so the self-preservation four can look a lot like a seven because they can be like 
more sunshiny. But they, I think they can also look like a three um, in the sense of like can do attitude, kind of like wanting to like beat their own personal records and stuff like that. Hi, uh, love your account tips for getting out of sloth for a nine wing one. Um, oh, thank you. And also I would say nines, in my opinion, aren't slothful. They're busy. They're overextended. So you've probably overdone it in some other area of your life and then that's exhausting you. So, um, what I mean by that is like, where are you giving your energy away? throughout the day? Is that through like moderating who you are? Is that like silencing yourself? Is it through like paying attention to everyone else's like experience over your own? Is it through like trying to like numb your emotions to avoid your emotions? Where are you kind of wearing yourself out so that you don't even have time or attention to even pay attention to what you want, what you need and how you're going to get there? Um, I would say like focus more on taking out the things that are wearing you down and so that you have the energy and the resources to focus on what you do want to do. I also think when we numb our emotions, we numb our positive emotions as well. So we need to unnumb. So for me, I will say a lot of times with social media, we're all numbing, right? Like that's, it's just part of being a person right now is learning how to not use social media as a numbing agent. And I have to unplug at least once a week if I'm, if, in order to like be a person, like honestly. And like as someone whose job is social media, like I I'm, I have invested interest in you being here and I'm telling you like it's important to often get off. Um, and it's and because like we need to be able to feel things in order to um, even know what we want, know what we need and have the like energy to even go after it, honestly. And unplug from as much as possible. I think nines often need to be like alone out of the house without their, with their phone on do not disturb. <laughs> like really just like, what would I do now? Um, sharing Enneagrams for professional relationships. You know, I would love to do this. I do workshops on this a lot, um, like in corporations or in work environments. Um, I love it. I'm a, but I think it would be like a whole workshop or maybe even a podcast series. Might be a good podcast series. Rosemary says, are you in Bali now? Still sad the reschedule didn't work out for me. Rosemary, I'm so sad you're not here. <laughs> but also I'm so happy to be here. It's like, yeah, I want, I, I'm so sad we had to reschedule it and it went weird. Um, but yes, I'm in Bali. Um, ba -ba -ba -ba. I've enjoyed listening. Thanks for all the tips. Have a great day. You too. Thank you, Emily. Thanks for coming. All right, friends. I think this is a, it's going to cut me off soon. I think this is a good place to stop, but thank you all for joining me. And, um, I think, uh, we'll be doing this a lot more often because my book launches on Tuesday. So I think I'm going to do lives for a while, um, around there. So if that's something you guys are interested in, let me know. Um, I have a therapy session tomorrow and now I have a couple. Yeah, great. I love that. That's the perfect way to use my content is to take what we do here and take it to your therapist and talk about it. That's like a dream. Thank you. Thanks for coming. See you next time. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death 
in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.